Hey, what's going on, everybody? I'm Armand Lee, and this is the Quarterly Report. Thank you so much for listening. We got a really good show this week, a lot of fun. It's the fight that we've been waiting years to see, and we're finally going to get it. However, it comes at a cost. I'll explain. And the first round of the NBA playoffs were amazing. The second round, complete and utter trash. But there are two parties who deserve the lion's share of the blame. I'll tell you who in a second. But we're going to start things off with an age-old debate for our first topic. For the last four or five years, during every NBA postseason, this one topic seems to always rear its head. And these playoffs are no different. Of course, I'm talking about, is LeBron James as good or even better than Michael Jordan? Oh! Hello, Armand. I'm back. <sighs> Davo, what's up, man? Well, I can't say chilling, you know, since I'm in hell and all. But things are going well. I've noticed since Easter and Lent are over, you're not going to church as much as you used to. Is this some type of signal to me? <laughs> nah, nah, it's it's not like that at all. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, things are busy. Nah, you know, actually, I don't owe you any explanation at all. Devil, you're here. You clearly want to play devil's advocate. What's the topic this week, bro? This week, play devil's advocate for LeBron James being better than Michael Jordan. <laughs> that's it? LeBron being better than Michael Jordan? Oh, man, Slim, that's right up my alley, baby. Let me say this perfectly clear so everyone within this podcast's reach can hear me clearly. LeBron James is the greatest basketball player of all time. And you want to know how I know this for a fact? Because all you Michael Jordan stands, you've been giving me this rudimentary, this basic level of defending MJ, essentially my whole life. Perfect example. How many times have you all heard, well, LeBron can't be better than Michael Jordan because Michael Jordan has six rings and LeBron only has three. You guys, you, the the legions of Michael Jordan fans who continuously tell me the rings argument that you guys make this so easy for me. This is Scooby Snacks for me right here. You want to know why? Because if you're saying Michael Jordan is greater than LeBron James because 6X is greater than 3X, right? That's essentially what you're telling me. Then you're saying all of you that Bill Russell is the greatest basketball player of all time. Because 11X is greater than 6X. So all you Michael Jordan stands who who rush, rush to the front of the line to talk about why MJ is greater than LeBron and it's as easy as 6 to 3. Well, sit down, bro, because in that case, Bill Russell is greater than Michael Jordan. In fact, that means Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is as good as Michael Jordan. So your whole rationale, all you, and you don't have to say it out loud, you know, in a private, private moment while you're listening to this podcast, if you've ever made the rings argument, which is such a dumb argument, but thank you because you make this really easy for me. 
You understand? If you've ever made that argument, then you know deep down that Michael Jordan can't be the greatest basketball player of all time. You know, if I wanted to, if I wanted to make the case for Michael Jordan, and the devil probably should have asked me to do that, if I wanted to, I wouldn't use rings as uh, as a as an argument. It's so basic. That's so juvenile. You understand? Don't reduce Michael Jordan to just rings. He's greater. If you think that Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time, there are so many reasons you could give other than rings. But since you all love to just throw the rings argument out there, let me take one second to destroy that argument completely. Again, 11 is greater than six. So if rings is the end all be all, Michael Jordan has never been the greatest basketball player of all time. But since you're defending him, you know that that rings argument is completely and absolutely trash. So get out of my face with that. The second thing I hear all the time about why Michael Jordan is greater than LeBron James is because Michael Jordan was a perfect six for six in the finals where LeBron right now is only three out of four. Again, the easiest way for me to know that LeBron James is the greatest basketball player of all time is to listen to the silly defense that so many of you in the Jordan Hive give, right? If you're going to tell me that because LeBron James has lost in the finals and Michael Jordan didn't, let's let's take a deeper and closer look, right? Michael Jordan lost in the first round of the NBA playoffs three times. LeBron James has never lost in the first round of the NBA playoffs. Michael Jordan has been swept out the playoffs multiple times. LeBron James has only been swept once and that happened in the finals where he shouldn't have even been playing in the first place. Like the people who, like the, the idea of losing at a later level is somehow a bigger detriment to your legacy than losing at the beginning. That's crazy. Teams who get bounced in the first round aren't very good. LeBron James, just by merely playing on any team, will never lose in the first round because he's that great. Listen to yourselves. That's like when people say Joe Montana is greater than Tom Brady because Joe Montana never lost in the Super Bowl. Well, yeah, because Joe Montana didn't get to the Super Bowl as many times as Tom Brady. He lost. He was not good enough to get there that many times. You're not going to penalize somebody because they got bounced in the early stages when the playoffs are easy. That doesn't make any sense. LeBron James has never lost in the first round. Michael Jordan has lost in the first round three different times, but we're going to penalize LeBron for making it to the finals more. Oh my God. Somebody please like, give me a real argument. Give me some real competition. This is light work, baby. I'm out here like Fred Astaire dancing while I'm tearing down your arguments. And finally, finally, the last argument that the people in the Jordan Hive give me in terms of why Michael Jordan is better than LeBron is because, oh, well, LeBron has had so many failures in the playoffs. I'm not going to pull any punches, you know. Michael Jordan and LeBron James have both had playoff failures. 
I can't I can't excuse the things that have happened to LeBron James. Primarily the NBA Finals against the Dallas Mavericks. He failed. He choked. There is no argument with me. But this whole recency bias thing that we're, we've all got to kick into, right? Don't, don't forget, Michael Jordan has failed in the playoffs himself. In fact, there have been a few failures on MJ's part. I can think of 88 when the Pistons beat the Bulls. A pivotal game where, you know, the series was tied at one. MJ could have done something except for, you know, his 8 for 20 showing with five turnovers against the Pistons. He also had an 18-point game against the Pistons in another year. There, are, Look back at Michael Jordan in the 80s. See, this is the thing. When it comes to MJ, so many people feel that the NBA only started in 1991. There were plenty of years where Michael Jordan lost or he came up short and had awful performances in the postseason. Maybe it's recency bias, right? Because we live in this 24-7 sports media blitz of information on Twitter and 24-7 cable networks and all this other thing, right? Where everybody is telling you that LeBron James failed. So it's fresh in your head because we've been inundated by it, right? We've been beat over the head over and over again. Where you just don't remember just a few decades earlier, the same thing happened with MJ. It's just that for back then there were no 24-7 you know, news outlets. There weren't any people making a career out of insulting Michael Jordan. There wasn't, you know, Twitter where people would throw up memes when Michael Jordan failed or all these other things. So you don't remember it. So if you don't remember it, it must not have happened. Even though we live in the information age, right? You can look this stuff up. So again, I spent this time using your arguments the silly arguments that the Jordan Hive gives us over and over again on why Michael Jordan is so much greater than LeBron James. And if you're an adult, if you are a reasonable individual, you can see how silly all these arguments are. But now you know what? That's me playing defense. How about I play offense for a second and to tell you why LeBron is greater than Michael Jordan. When Michael Jordan quit, you know, the first time, he left the Bulls. They won three straight championships, and he decided to chase his dream of being a Major League Baseball player. I got no, got no problem with that. But a funny thing happened. Michael Jordan left, and his team still won. The Bulls won. I believe they won 54 games in 94, 93-94 season with no Michael Jordan. I'm a Knicks fan. If it wasn't for Hugh Hollins, we would have lost to the Bulls that year. And the Bulls would have beat the Pacers, and the Bulls would have went to the finals. Now, would they have beaten the Rockets? I don't know. But I tell you this, look at what happens when LeBron leaves teams. He's left two teams now. He left the Cleveland Cavaliers when they were winning 60 games. They didn't win 50. They didn't win 40. They were the worst team in basketball. They won the lottery. That's what they won. They got Kyrie Irving. And even after getting Kyrie Irving, they still would lose. They didn't make the playoffs. But it's not just Cleveland. If you want to chalk it up to, oh, uh, well, the Cavaliers organization is crazy. Okay, dig this. 
after LeBron leaves Miami and goes back to Cleveland. The Miami Heat went to four straight NBA Finals. What happened the year after LeBron left? The Heat didn't make the playoffs. That's with Dwayne Wade. That's with Chris Bosh for half a season. That's with Gordon Dragic. Hell, that's with Hassan Whiteside. They, they didn't make the playoffs in the East. So, Michael Jordan, right? The greatest basketball player of all time. He can leave and his team will win 50 plus games. But LeBron James will leave two different franchises. Two different franchises. One consistently wins 60 games. The other goes to four straight finals. And at the moment LeBron leaves, they miss the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. Uh, 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 damn, that seems great to me. Very convincing argument, Armand. You're quite good at this. Maybe I can use you for something else down the road. Nah, Joe. I'm blessed and highly favored, baby. You know what I'm talking about? Get up out of here, devil. I ain't making no deal with you. <laughs> See you next time. Man, I really got to talk to him about changing up how he enters and exits. You understand this room or whatever. But look, let me, it's important that I make this one clarification. Okay. That segment is called devil's advocate. So before all you guys get up in arms, I can feel it. I'm recording this on a Tuesday. You guys haven't even heard this yet, but I can feel your blood rising. The temperature rising because of how upset you all in the Jordan hive get. I do not think that LeBron James is better than Michael Jordan. I don't think that LeBron James will ever surpass Michael Jordan. Okay, let me make that perfectly clear. I think Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time. But we got to stop this whole LeBron. It'll never be. And LeBron is not even close to nah, Slim. All that's dead. Michael Jordan, LeBron James are absolutely peers. Okay, however you want to break it down. You want to say MJ's number one? Okay, guess who's right there on his ass? Okay, it's LeBron. MJ's at the head of the table, right to his right side is LeBron. Those two dudes are moving in unison, okay? So, I don't know how you want to break it down. I don't know how you want to rationalize it. I don't know your personal feelings on LeBron James. But when it comes to on that floor... LeBron James is a monster, and he's as good. He's right there. Right there. You want to get the slight edge to MJ? I do. You feel me? I think MJ's number one, but right there on him is L LBJ. It's breezy. LeBron James is right there, and the people who don't want to act like their peers, you need to wash your face, you know, and get your mind right. That was quarter number one, and I am Armand Lee. Thank you so much for listening to the Quarterly Report. Make sure you follow me on Twitter. I'm at Armon, A-R-M-O-N underscore Lee, L-E-E. -E, and also follow the show at Quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E -E show. First quarter is over and done with, but we're going to stay on the hardwood for our second topic this week. The first round of these NBA playoffs were amazing. I enjoyed them so much. I enjoyed coming home to three, maybe four games on a night, and the vast majority of them being competitive, being entertaining, right? 
the Cavaliers may have swept the Pacers, but those were four, well, three really exciting games. Super compelling. You had stars, you had storylines, and you had great teams, great moments. But with that said, the second round has been equally awful. I have been so disappointed, and I feel like the second round of the NBA playoffs have been like year in and year out the absolute worst round. You know what I mean? Like each year there'll be a strong first round or a really compelling or interesting first round. And then the second round is where all the entertainment goes to die. And that's what's happening this year. Thank God that the Celtics and the Wizards hate each other, like legit want to fight each other. So much so where fans are, being threatened by Isaiah Thomas. Thank goodness for that series because everything else like is boring. But it got me thinking like, yo, why why are the playoffs? Why do we always have this law in the playoffs? It's almost like every year now. And I think it's time to kind of have the harsh truth about the matter. There's two reasons why the NBA and the playoffs specifically have underperformed for, you know, six or seven years now. And I go back to the last work stoppage. Remember 2010, 2011, you know, everybody was upset with the decision. You know, LeBron James was, you know, he was public enemy number one. He went down to Miami and he took control of the power of the construct of the NBA was completely torn down and everybody was upset. You know, and the buzzword back then was, market size and you know that whole thing was dumb because you know quiet is kept cleveland and miami they have similar market size right but no facts don't don't worry about that don't let don't let facts ruin a great story or a narrative right but everybody was upset owners you know they didn't know what to do they were just mad everybody was mad dan gilbert was mad mark cuban was mad because chris paul almost went to the lakers everybody was mad so this is like petulant children just stop. Like, you know what? Whatever. We're going to lock everybody out. No basketball. And the reason for it was, you know, we need competitive balance. I talked about this a few episodes ago, how that never really exists in the NBA. You know, so many people are really telling on themselves when it comes to the history of the game. There's never been competitive balance. But the owners and many fans and members of the media were all in. You know, this is unfair. LeBron's going to Miami. Look, KG, Ray Allen, and Paul Pierce linked up in Boston. We got to stop this. We got to, we have to put an end to this. So their solution, besides like taking the ball and going home, was to make it stricter, make going over the cap harder. You know what I mean? Like make penalized teams for spending money to put out a actual competitive team that was in theory their way of saying you know what you're not going to get great players because you won't pay for them and if you do you're going to pay so much money now reasonable people can understand the flaw in that line of thinking without it actually being applied you know these are businessmen so if you're going to spend money you're going to recoup it you understand like each year you hear how teams are losing money 
you know, the Cleveland Cavaliers supposedly lost money last year and they've got the highest payroll in the league. But ask yourself this question. You think Dan Gilbert will sell the Cavs? Because if he's losing all this money, why is he still in? He's a businessman. Why would you still invest and spend all this money in a product that you're losing money? You want to know why? I don't know what Dan Gilbert spent to buy the Cavaliers, but I guarantee you when he does decide to sell it, it's going to be significantly more. You understand? Like teams are going for billions now. Billions with a B. They appreciate, unlike cars and all these other purchases that we you know, normal folk buy. You get an NBA team, you get any major league sports team, the price appreciates. So Dan Gilbert knows that, you know what, I may lose a few million here this year, but overall, all these dollars that I'm putting into this team is going to, is going to come back to me 10 times fold. So the owners are the first group of people who are to blame for this product because just think back 2011, 2012, we had teams like the Indiana Pacers, right? The Indiana Pacers were in the conference championship against the Miami Heat. The same Indiana Pacers this year who got swept out the playoffs in the first round, you know? Now you see what happened to Indiana. And now we're looking at Paul George probably will leave the Pacers. Larry Bird quit just a few weeks ago, days ago, right? Paul George is probably on his way out. And the Pacers are looking around like, what happened? Well, you can't pay guys anymore. Remember Oklahoma City? Oklahoma City Thunder. This will go down as the worst example of mismanagement. You know, fresh off of going to the NBA Finals. That was year one of the new CBA, right? That was the, the lockout shortened season. That year, Oklahoma City, led by Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden, all three of them on the same team, they go to their only NBA Finals appearance. Like, the future looks so bright for that team. Think about this. The odds are that either Russell Westbrook or James Harden win the MVP this year, right? In fact, the odds are that they will finish 1-2 in some order. This is coming three years after Kevin Durant won an MVP. So you have three, three players who are at the top of the sport. Two of those three will be MVPs. If James Harden doesn't win it, it will be the second time in three years. He was second place in the MVP voting. All three of these guys on the same team, all three of these guys succeeding in a small market, but they couldn't keep them together because of the penalty. The owners cut their nose despite their face like children. They were so mad that LeBron James had the gall to choose which team he wanted to play for, that not only did they take their ball and go home, they then made it harder for teams in small markets to succeed. So look at the, where we're at now, the NBA landscape now. Houston, they're trying to go to their second straight NBA, or I'm sorry, their second Western Conference Finals in three years, 
And they were able to do that because they got James Harden, right? You've got the Spurs who, again, another small team, small market team who somehow consistently keeps themselves competitive and relevant without the help of this CBA. You've got the Boston Celtics who aren't a small market team, but are operating as if they are. They are run well. They make wise decisions. And you got the Washington Wizards, who their best three players were all drafted. So this the entire idea. And then you got LeBron James, who he's like the golden ticket in Willy Wonka. He'll always be a champ. He's a walking championship contender. And then you got the Golden State Warriors, who last time I checked, Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green were all drafted. Even before getting Kevin Durant, they were in the finals. And which of those teams, other than San Antonio, are in a small market? There are no Indianas anymore. There are no Oklahoma Cities anymore as far as championship threats. And it's because the owners made an awful decision because they reacted. They were so upset that they made their goal was to try and to make everything equal, but they only made a bigger divide. You understand? There are no Oklahoma City Thunders anymore. When's the last time a team drafted that well and were they were not able to keep them? There are no more Indiana Pacers. Like Utah, Utah looks like they're an up-and-coming team, but how many of you all think that Gordon Hayward's going to stay there this offseason? probably going to Miami right they did all these things to make the the balance of the league fair and then three years later the cap goes up to record-breaking heights it was so dumb so when you're complaining about the NBA playoffs and how it seems like a foregone conclusion don't get mad at the players get mad at the owners and you know what there's one other group of people that you need to get mad at as well Go right. You need to go right into a mirror and look at yourself. Because we as a as an NBA kind of community, we have forced some of these players hands. You know, LeBron James got sick and tired. He was killed day in, day out, week in, week out, whether it was first take or was sports center or was on your local Sports talk dial. Oh, LeBron James can't win. And we all knew. Reasonable people understood he didn't have a good team. But you know what? Whatever. You got to win. Who cares if you're playing with guys who aren't supposed to be in the league, who are well, a bunch of D-leaguers? You got to win. Doesn't matter. Who cares if Boston has three Hall of Famers on their team and you can't beat them because they just are more talented than you? Well, you got to win. So LeBron was like, okay, if winning is everything if winning is the most important thing i'm going to go to the team that best helps me win who cares if it takes some of the fun out of the competitive balance and then what happened just recently kevin durant ah kevin durant you gotta win doesn't doesn't matter if you know you and russell westbrook don't get along you gotta win doesn't matter if you had james harden on your team and because of just sheer incompetence, you trade him for a bag of cookies. You got to win. So Kevin Durant was like, all right, bet. 
I'm going to make a decision that's going to give me the best opportunity to win. And he went to Golden State. And because of that, the, the playoffs are less exciting because we all knew coming into this season, the odds were that Golden State would play Cleveland in the finals for a third straight year. And look what's going to happen this offseason. Chris Paul, he's getting killed, right? I talked about it last week. So many people are now saying that he's under or overrated. Somehow that Chris Paul is an overrated basketball player, which is insane. But look, you got to win, right? Chris Paul, you you can't even, you've got to get to a conference championship, let alone win a ring. So what do you think Chris Paul is going to do this offseason? He's either going to stay in L.A., which remember, the whole CBA was about market size, right? So that's not helping the competitive balance of the league. L.A. is the second biggest market in the country. He's either going to go to L.A., stay in L.A., try to force his way to Cleveland in the Kyrie for Chris Ball trade, or he's going to go to San Antonio. So, again, San Antonio consistently competitive despite playing in a small market or hitching his wagon to the golden ticket that is LeBron James. So we are culpable in this kind of imbalance in the league. We get mad at players for not winning, despite the fact that their organizations are run poorly. So when these players make the decision, sometimes, oftentimes, leaving tens of millions of dollars on the table to change teams, we then kill them. Oh, you took the easy way out. You can't have it both ways. Everybody can't win every year. There's only one champion. So as fans, as a community of the NBA, as people who consume the NBA product, we got to be mindful of what we're, what we're demanding from these players. If we want them to win at all costs, you can't be mad when they actually, literally try to win at all costs. And what we definitely have to stop doing and stop letting these teams and these organizations off the hook. You know, I wish, I wish the Thunder could have kept James Harden on that team. Just imagine how exciting they would be with three of the best players in the world on one roster. Or if you had to break it up, I wish they would have realized that James Harden was this good. Don't trade him for a role player and some picks. You literally gave away one of the best players of this generation for Steven Adams and a bunch of guys not in the league anymore. You got to do better. You got to do better. Dwight Howard was in Orlando. At the time, he was one of the best players in the league. Orlando didn't get anything in return. You got to do better. That's not the player's fault. If we're going to be upset at the product, at the outcome of these poor decisions, let's start actually holding the real people accountable before the next work stoppage. All right, that was the first half, and I am still Armand Lee, and this is the Quarterly Report. Make sure you follow the show on Twitter. The show is at Quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. And while you're at it, Go to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast. All you got to do is search for quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E. 
You'll see my icon for the show. You click it. You subscribe. And while you're at it, please rate the show and review it. Give it stars. Give it some reviews, whether it's good or bad. All reviews, all rates are welcome. Now, I just talked to you about how the NBA playoffs have left much to be desired. Fortunately for us as sports fans, the NHL playoffs have been amazing. There's just one problem. Those damn names. But I'm here for you, the people. So if you're having trouble getting behind the NHL playoffs because it's hard to pronounce some of these players' names, you're in luck. What's up, man? Yo, what's going on? You see the game last night? Yeah, man, that gent was amazing, Slump. Especially the Preds game, yeah? That goal from Cal, Darker, whatever the hell his name is. Hell, man, you know, number 19. Nah, man, don't even try to pronounce that All you gotta do is type it in to the Wu-Tang Clan name oh. generator. Now, his name is Fearless Overlord. What about a few days ago? When the Oilers dominated, you know what I'm saying? Number 42, Anton Sleppy, whatever the name is. Never mind. Let the killer bees handle it. Anton is now annoying mastermind. So once he got his mask on, he's. And of course, the Rangers lost. But what a goal from Mika, Zimbabwe, whatever. I'm not even gonna try that. Let's type it into the generator. His name is now. Misunderstood specialist. Like they want to put the microchip in people. You know, microchips. You heard of microchips. Where you been, baby? You think they don't know where you at now? And all the newborn babies? Man, who'd have ever thought the NHL and the Wu-Tang Clan would be a match made in heaven? <laughs> Yo, out of all the little halftime skits or whatever, the Wu-Tang Clan name generator has got to be up there, yo. Like, that joint is so funny, but it's so inefficient, right? It should probably take me an hour to two hours to produce that entire... It's only like 30 seconds, right? But it should take me about an hour and a half to get it all done. But it always takes me close to three to four hours to do because I just get lost in laughter trying to find the right Wu-Tang Clan, you know, soundbite to go after each new name. And them joints are so funny. There's so many interviews from like each of the Wu-Tang Clan. And them bambas are so funny, young. I, I suggest, I highly recommend, if you got time, just Google funny Wu-Tang Clan interviews. So far, Ghost is by far the funniest one, but all of them are funny. So hopefully you enjoyed halftime, but you know what? It's back to business. We got two more quarters to go ahead and make this show a winner. So without further ado, let's get it going with our third topic. For my guest this week, I'm joined now by the super talented, super versatile, and overall weirdo, Monica McNutt. Monica, what's going on? Overall weirdo? That's cute. I'm fantastic. How are you? I have no idea how this interview is going to turn out, but I'm excited and I'm very happy that you're joining me this week. Um, let's start with the NBA. You know, um, earlier in the show, I talked about how LeBron James and Michael Jordan are often compared and how I think that their peers, um, no matter how you have or who you have ahead, but 
part of what makes LeBron James amazing, right? Part of his legacy is his dominance in the Eastern Conference. So my question to you is, does LeBron James' dominance over the East speak more to just how great he is as a player? Or is it an indictment of just how weak the conference has become? So this is a loaded question, I think, right? So basic J-School principles, the answer for me would be it's a testament to his greatness. But I think you also have to look at what's happening in the West, if we're going to, like, answer this question thoroughly. Um, I, feel, I feel like as long as I've been watching the NBA enough to grasp it, like, the West has always been stronger. I mean, I, I was coming up on the tails end of Mike and all of that, whatever. But now you look at what Golden State has done, the Spurs are especially dominant, and I mean, just historically a very talented group. The Lakers, not so much here recently, but it's been front-loaded as far as the West is concerned, in my opinion. I don't think that takes away from the East because LeBron is in the East, though, at all. I mean, you look at his teammates, you look at what the Wizards are doing, whoever you pick as your favorite in the East, there are still talented guys, but you can't hold the conference against a guy that's working. Because it would be different if LeBron was one of those dudes that was always in trouble. But he's working, and he's about his craft, and you know that, and he makes that known. Yeah, that's a really good point. And also, I feel like we've all are kind of dealing with a bit of revisionist history right now. Like, it's not that Michael Jordan was going through, like, a murderer's row back when he was dominating the East. You know what I mean? Like, Stockton and Malone were out west. Barkley was out west. Elijahwan was out west. Kemp, Payton, they were all out west. As a Knicks fan, like the the teams I loved, it was Patrick Ewing and you know our second and third best players were Charles Oakley and John Starks. The Pacers teams, it was just Reggie Miller and Rick Smith. So, you know, I feel like people forget just how weak the East was back in Jordan's heyday. Uh, again, I'm joined now by super talented monica mcnutt make sure you follow her on twitter her twitter handle is mcnutt m-c-n-u-t-t monica and also make sure you check her out at thepromptmag.com she's got some really dope articles on thepromptmag.com you want to want to make sure you check it out now monica as many people know you were a superstar at georgetown you know a superstar basketball player and you cover college hoops so in this day, whenever one talks about college hoops, we always go back to Lonzo Ball and his pops, uh, LeVar Ball. So my question to you, I've got a two-pronged question. Number one, have you seen the shoes and what did you think about them? And number two, do you think Lonzo's skill is enough to have a team decide to take him knowing that his father and potential distractions are kind of a package deal? Mm, first of all, the shoe to me looked like a glorified grass cutter. <laughs> I did add the shoe. Uh-uh. It does nothing for me. Really? I actually thought them chase was actually kind of dope. A little all right. No. 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 If by dope you mean, I won't call it quite horrible, but if by dope you mean your uncle that is no younger than oh, 37 will wear them and no youngster you know dope, then fine. Oh, my God. You are so extra. Listen, listen. The shoe does nothing for me. The price for me is absurd. I will say that I was very much team sit down, shut up, LeVar Ball, until his conversation with Stephen A. Okay. After that conversation, you have to give them some props credit 
because the machine is definitely out there to make money off of his son, his eldest now, and then if the other two turn out to be something, the machine is going to get them in terms of branding, everybody wants a piece. So why not monetize right. for yourself if you can? That part I'm not mad at. I think that was probably the same week that the middle son, I think, tweeted something like, y'all mad because our dad believes us, believes that we can do anything and there's kids out here that don't even know their fathers, right? So mm. those two conversations for me were a little bit of perspective, right? Right. So in that regard, being about his sons, I'm not mad at him. I do question his methodology, methodology though, for me. Right. But any good publicist will tell you that the key to it is to keep the conversation going, and that's something that he excels at. All right. Once again, I'm joined by former Georgetown basketball star, sports broadcaster, and writer, overall Renaissance woman, Monica McNutt. Make sure you follow her on Twitter. She's at McNutt, M-C-N-U-T-T, Monica. You know, make sure you follow her there. Also, read her dope articles at thepromptmag.com. Like I said, you are a former Georgetown basketball star. So I'm curious, number one, what the hell does Hoya Saxon mean? I still don't know. And number two, uh, how do you feel about the hiring of Patrick Ewing as the men's basketball head coach? And how do you assess Georgetown's, you know, the direction of the entire Georgetown program? So Hoya Saxon, Armand, you should know this. Why should I? Hoya Saxon means what rocks is Latin because we're tight like that. Latin? Really? I didn't know Latin America had a, a large Hoya population, you know. Listen, it's not a literal thing. It's like the Latin derivative language, all of that. Yeah, yeah. That sounds really awesome, honestly. It means what rocks, and that's all you need to know, and we tight, and don't be mad because you can't say it because you're not a Hoya, and that's where we're going to leave that. <laughs> okay, well, damn. We're <laughs> <laughs> just going to leave that there. Uh, now, on our glorious Hoya, oh. who Big John has credited for, like, establishing the Big East, I, here's the thing. We just left the situation at my glorious alma mater, still believe Hoya Blue, where obviously nepotism was a big piece of the deal. Like, let's just call it what it is. So it concerns me that we we hung on to that trend. Maybe not so much in name, but clearly Pat is one of Big John's guys. Now, what I did not know prior to this, to him taking this job, I didn't know that he was in pursuit of a head coaching job in the league for so long. That's something that I, I wasn't privy to. So with that in mind, I know that obviously he wants to be successful. Nobody takes a position like that trying to play around. There were, as it unfolded, there were tons of people that I talked to that said that he should have gotten a job in the league at this point. So the qualification must be there. I just, I just wonder about it being his first year. And I, I don't think that Georgetown is in a position that people want to continue to watch the men's basketball program flop around. Like just that I think the amount of patience that the student body has, alumni has, is very low. Now, perhaps there's more grace because it is Patrick Ewing, and you're going to give him some time to figure it out. I do think that his assistant, his assistant coaching staff will be critical in all of this. I don't, I don't know how, how it translates yet. Of course I wish him all the best, and I think I can't even say definitively that I don't know who the right man for that job was, and I think it's tough because he doesn't necessarily have a track record for us to observe. I think we have to revisit this conversation 
and what I mean, what do you think would be the fair timeline, Armand? To me, three seasons come to mind for me, and that's just off the strength of any first-year head coach, right? Like you got to get your own players in, you got to get your system in, right? But I just don't know how decimated the program has been by the performances as of late. Like I feel like they lost out on a bunch of cats locally already. Yeah, I don't know. Georgetown is weird because I don't know. Obviously, they have a rich tradition, uh, thanks to Big John, obviously. But I don't know how realistic Georgetown's goals are and their expectations are to what they actually can achieve. You understand? Like Villanova won. So what? No, no, no. So, so now, what do you think that would be? Like, because I'm, I'm part of me is biased, right? Like that's my school. Clearly. Clearly. Okay, clearly. So tell me, what do you, and you have been somebody that is from, well, you've been in this area long enough. I'm not saying you're from here. I don't want to insult your Virginia folks. But anyway. Southside Richmond, what's happening? Okay, congratulations. Moving on. Um, <laughs> you've been in the area. You obviously are familiar with, with Patrick Ewing when he was playing, the greatness and that rich tradition that Georgetown does have. But you've also seen it flop around. What is a real, realistic expectation for you as someone who is in tune with the sports landscape in this area? I mean, like, realistically, go. you guys went to the Final Four, and that was dope, and that was a special moment, you know, but that can't be the expectation every year. You know what I mean? Like, for Georgetown, realistically, 21 seasons, you know what I mean, getting a tournament bid and competing for a Sweet 16 berth. You know what I mean? Like, George Mason isn't firing their head coach every year they, just because they don't make it to the Final Four. You know what I'm saying? And VCU, like – and you could argue VCU is a better program now. You know what I mean? So, like, yeah. you got to have a better self-assessment. Plus, you know, Georgetown's not a state school. You understand? Like, it's real trying to get into Georgetown. Asterisk. <laughs> but, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all. Again, that was my girl, Monica McNutt. Make sure you follow her on Twitter. She's at – she's backwards. I told you she's a weirdo. <laughs> it's McNutt, M-C-N. U-T-T Monica, last name first. Also, make sure you uh, check out her dope articles. She does some really cool stuff at thepromptmag.com. Monica, thank you so much for joining the show. Hopefully, uh, we'll have you back soon. Thanks for having me, Armand. No problem, Monica. All right, so that's three quarters down. We got one last quarter to go. And, you know, after last weekend's big fight and even bigger announcement for September, I had to end things with a step inside the square circle. It's an old saying that we've all heard time and time again. And it's something that I had to remind myself last week, last Friday. And that is be careful what you wish for because you just might get it. Now, those of you who listened to this show since the beginning, you understand why I started this podcast and, Number one, thank you for listening to the show throughout these past seven weeks. But for those of you who may be new, number one, make sure you subscribe to iTunes and you can listen to all the previous episodes. But I'll give you a quick refresher. I live right outside Washington, D.C., and my favorite two sports are the NBA and boxing. And unfortunately, at least for me, living in D.C., you don't really get a lot of NBA coverage and the coverage that you do get is not really high quality. And I don't know where you would live in this country and get any type of real in-depth boxing coverage. 
So I was like, yo, these are my sports that I like. I'm not an outlier. I'm sure others like this sport, these sports too. Let me voice, you know, my opinions and whatnot. But a funny thing started to happen about, you know, a few weeks back. Um, boxing started kind of creeping up into like the mainstream in terms of media, right? You'll hear and you've heard it before that boxing is dead, yada, yada, yada. And again, I've discussed, I've touched on these topics in the past. You know, boxing is still relatively popular. It's just in, you know, marginalized fan bases. But this past Friday, you know, leading up to the Canelo uh, Chavez Jr. fight, I'm watching one of the, you know, top sports debate, you know, shows in the afternoon. And one of the panelists, I'm not going to say their name or what show, you know, because that person does really dope stuff for basketball purposes. But they were talking about boxing and, man, it got under my skin. And I had to remind myself, right, because I have been asking for more boxing coverage. But what I hadn't been asking for is for smart Right. Educated boxing discussion. And that's on me, you know. So I'm hearing this person talk about Canelo and they're like, you know, finally, Canelo is going to fight someone on Saturday. And then hopefully it'll lead to the fight against Golovkin. Now, the second part of that is fine. We've all been waiting for this Canelo Golovkin fight for years. But come on, Slim. Just in a vacuum if you're just going to talk about canelo and who he's fighting and how he hasn't fought anybody just that alone you know you lose so much so many points from boxing hands right i mean we're talking about floyd Cotto, laura uh you know trout we talking about i mean shane at that point when he fought him was you know, past his prime, but we still talking about legendary Shane Mosley. So, and, and others as well, Khan, you know, I mean, come on, right? Canelo's, you know, resume speaks for itself, right? I think what he's 27. So like, you know, what are you talking about? Like, what are you talking about? And then tie that to what this person was talking about relative to, Golovkin and Golovkin with the exception of his two last fighters he hasn't fought anybody so you know it's easy for me to become indignant like that's a natural reflex so I'm watching the television and I'm screaming at this person like yo what are you talking about ah and then a few days later I had to chill I was like yo this is what you wanted and it's kind of like you know you got a friend or maybe you yourself when you were younger you discovered an artist, a musical act, a musical act, and you know you really loved them, and you were like, "Yo, this is my like my secret or my you know low key favorite group," and then that favorite group of yours gets big. They they get a hit, and then they become popular, and then like almost the natural tendency is to be like, "Oh, now everybody likes them. Oh, they sold out, boom, boom, boom." While you should be happy for the group that you fell in love with, that they're getting this success, it feels like the human condition is to almost then like, all right, man, I'm done. I've moved on now that everybody likes you. 
And I had to kind of calm myself down because I was so blown, Slim, like for real. Because, you know, it's funny, marginalized fan bases are weird. I don't know if any of you all know hockey fans, but I feel like hockey fans are the best fans. Like, the, they're the most passionate. They're, they, because, you know, they literally have to seek out their coverage because it's not on ESPN. It's not on Fox. Like, they have to go out of their way. They have to dig through the crates, you know what I mean, to find what they feel is legitimate coverage of their favorite sport. And if you aren't giving what they like, they will let you know. I have former colleagues who told me face-to-face the worst type of Twitter hive to mess with is Hockey Hive. And, man, some of the comment sections, you know, you should never read the comment sections. We should all understand this. But read a hockey board. You will be scared for your life. You know what I mean? And boxing fans are the same way. We have to go so far. We have to use so much energy just to hear about our sport, let alone intelligent discussion about our sport. That when we finally get something, if you are off just a little bit, we come down with fire and brimstone. So I cautioned. I had to caution myself. I had to tell myself to chill. And I, if you're listening to me, there's a likely chance that you too are a boxing head. So I'm just throwing this out there, man, because the sport has momentum. And this is good. You know what I mean? I mean, look, Javante Davis is fighting in two weeks. And then, you know, the you've got two of the best three American boxers fighting in this month upcoming between, you know, Terrence Crawford and then obviously Errol Spence and, Look, my boxing hands, you know I got you covered. We'll preview those fights in the upcoming weeks. But this is a good, there's a momentum. This is good. Let's not step on our own feet. You know what I mean? Like, yes, there are going to be a lot of people speaking in authoritative manner about the sport. And they're going to be wrong. But hopefully, you know, the more eyes that are on the sport, the more attention that is paid to the sport, they learn about it. You know what I mean? And then we all get happy because not only will we get the coverage that we've been craving for so long, but then we get the educated boxing discussion that I feel like we've all needed and that we've all desired. So I'm not preaching. I'm not on a a soapbox because I'm talking to myself as well. Because like I said, I was so blown when this person was talking on Friday. And I'm sure you've heard similar things whenever you listen to the major sports networks, whenever they decide to start talking about boxing. You know, but I'm asking, you know, for a little patience, a little understanding, because while we may be diehard boxing fans, you know, the casual sport fan isn't. So you'll hear a lot of people wax poetic about Golovkin and you hear a lot of people talking about how Canelo has been ducking and he hasn't fought anybody. Bite your tongue. You know what I mean? You know, get to your boards, talk to your homeboys, the people that you know really follow the sport. But B 
be happy. You understand? Because the sport is moving in a good pace. It's moving to a great place. And, man, we got a hell of a schedule. We got a hell of a summer and a hell of a fall for fight fans. So there's really no need to be upset. Thanks for listening to the Quarterly Report this week. I am your host, Armand Lee. Again, make sure you follow me on Twitter. I'm at Armand, A-R-M-O-N underscore Lee, L-E-E. Also, follow the show. We're at Quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. I had a blast this week with you all. Hopefully, you enjoyed the show as well. I'll see you right back here next week on the Quarterly Report.